0: Um, I'm going to be reading from Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, um, even though Shirley kind of stole my thunder with the children, although I think you'll see that I have a slightly different translation. Um, So chapter, verse 17, and as as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, you lack like one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard will it be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of god and the disciples were amazed at his words but jesus said to them again children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of god it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god and they said and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him then who can be saved jesus looked at them and said But many that are first will be last, and the last first. Well, how great
1: for Pastor Curtis to leave me a passage that all I need to do is to convince you all to go home, sell everything you own, and give it all to the poor. So this should be easy. Thanks a lot. When I was talking to the pastor about how to write a good sermon, uh, one of the things he kept bringing up to me was, what do you want them to leave with? Do you want them to have a better understanding of the the biblical text? Do you want them to understand the meaning behind the words of the page? Or do you want them to take action because of your words today? Well, the answer to all of those questions is yes, of course. However, as with most of the Bible, there's more to this passage than there might seem at first glance. I want to thank all the announcements today because I'm just going to skip three paragraphs about the commandments because I don't know about you, but I haven't murdered anyone recently, so I'm kind of in the same boat as the rich man where Jesus turns to him and he says, well, the Bible's there, aren't you following the commandments? But there's more to it. I think it's very impressive as I read the Bible to look and see the people that come to Jesus. I think we can all agree that both then and now, Jesus was a polarizing figure. Even faithful men like Nicodemus did not feel comfortable speaking openly to Jesus in the light of day. This was due in part to the culture and how being with Jesus could make life very hard on a person living in that time. However, I do not think this is the only reason. I think a major reason people avoided him was because they were afraid of what he might say to them, how he might challenge them and focus them on what really needs to be done. But in our reading today, the rich man doesn't have any fear. I think this is skipped over a lot as we're reading because it's only the first few lines. But he comes right up that dirt road to Jesus and asks, Jesus, what can I do? Reading the words on the page in some of the texts, Jesus notes at this point that he loves the rich man for this. He loved him for coming up and being bold enough to just ask, how can I help you? I know that we can no longer run down a a dirt road and ask Jesus ourselves. But he's just as alive today in the hearts and minds and actions of his followers. So then if all we need to do is turn and pray and ask Jesus, what can I do, then what keeps us back? I think it's fear. I have never met a person better at being courageous for Jesus than my mentally challenged friend, Tim, at the University of Utah. When I moved back here from North Carolina, I was coming from a dance background. I was in a new space, taking new classes with new people, a place I hadn't been for in a long time. I met some kids in my class who were all extremely smart, and I started studying with them, and I felt like I really made some good friends. And one day, I was standing up from our study table and my cross that I wear all the time fell out of my shirt. One of the kids asked me, oh, "Are you, you go to church? I said, yes, First Baptist. And his honest to God response was, oh, I thought you were so smart. I always found that very interesting, that in academics it seems that if you're a believer, you're not as smart as everyone else. How could you possibly believe that? The very next day, we were assigned chemistry partners, and I was 15 minutes late. The last boy in the auditorium of 500 people was Tim. I'm not sure exactly what was going on with Tim. I know he had some autism, and I think he had a little bit of Down syndrome. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a lot of work in a lab, just me and him. So for about three weeks, I kept my cross off and I tried to not show people that I was a Christian. And Tim followed me around. He had one class, it was chem lab. And so he used to sit outside of all my classes in the middle of the winter and wait for me and walk me to my classes back and forth. He wouldn't often say things, I didn't know anything about him. Until one day in chemistry, we turned fire blue with a different metal. And he said as loud as he possibly could in the room, wow, God is amazing. There was no fear in Tim about my fellow students and what they might say. This is just like the rich man. He had no fear in coming to Jesus. He had no fear in running down that dirt road and asking Jesus, What can I do? Now even though this young rich man showed courage in calling on Jesus, there's a little secret that I want you to know about. And I think it's interesting in the text. I hate to break this to you, but there's nothing you can do to buy your way into heaven. There is nothing you can give away to get Jesus to love you more. There is no reason to pray more, go to church more, or put more in the offering plate. Sorry, Dennis. This is because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But at this point in the story, only Jesus knows that. Only Jesus knows that he is going to eventually have to die for our sins. So when the rich man asks what can he do to get into the kingdom of heaven, I picture Jesus smiling to himself and thinking you don't need to do anything. It Reminds me of another short story about my time in the prison in the metro jail in Salt Lake City. The second I read this passage I thought of this encounter I had with a prisoner. I had been teaching there for about three weeks by this point. And it's an experience like no other. Walking into the pod of a prison would be like walking into this room, about this size, and on the walls, divided in half, are these little cells, about the size of this pulpit up here, where two men live together. The floor of our church, there's a big spray-painted circle, and when they have free time, they walk in a circle. And that's what they do all day long. So to my surprise, when thinking about preaching this verse, the prison was the first thing that popped into my mind. I wish that our rich man could have had an encounter with one of my prisoners before coming to Jesus that day. For my fourth or fifth class, I was in the middle of an opening prayer, and I heard a thud and i looked up and one of the prisoners was pressed up against the glass by a guard whenever they have a psychiatric eval or a person who has refused to take their psychiatric medication they kick my bible study out of the multi-purpose room so i left and a few weeks later i came back and the only person in that class was that prisoner about six seven maybe 250 Gary, tattoos all over him and he was the only one sitting in my classroom Eventually another man walked in, and we started praying together about life and talking about what it's like to be incarcerated. One of the men asked the exact same question that our rich man asked today. He turned to me and said, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? I was thinking of some strong biblical answer, some way I could describe to him how you would get into heaven. And without thinking, my tall, tattooed, scary psychiatric friend said, You're already doing it. it. Took me a second to think about what he was talking about. What he meant was grace. Here in a prison with murderers, assault victims, burglars, this prisoner knew more about grace than this rich man. But you have to think about why that is. Why did Jesus, if he knew he was going to die on the cross, and he knew that his grace would save the rich man's life eventually, why did he answer in the way that he did? Why did he tell them to go sell everything? I think a part of it is perspective. He wanted this rich man to understand all that he had been given and all that he could give back to the world around him. My prisoner, he had perspective. When you're looking from the ground up and you're seeing everybody else up there, you understand what it really means to give back to others. And you understand how hard it is to give back. He asked me a few weeks later, his bail had been posted, and he turned to me and said, my gang has paid my bail, and I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do either. He was going from this safe environment into a situation where the people picking him up might have been the people that turned him in for the crime. And all I could do was pray for him and hope that God's grace would get him through. I think that Jesus knows that humans have two roads to choose from, the earthly road That leads to stuff, accumulation of wealth, and the road to the Kingdom of Heaven. And the best way to get to the Kingdom of Heaven is to see where Jesus leads you. My prisoner moved away and moved to Nevada with his family, with nothing but clothes they had in their bag, and he sent prison ministries a letter. (coughs) he knew what he had to do. And unlike the rich man who had so much stuff holding him back and holding him away from what he needed to do to find Jesus, what a blessing it was to be in prison. He had nothing he needed to get rid of, to shed in order to find what God needed for him. Which makes me scared for me. I'm a straight white affluent male who goes to college. Oh, and I'm a Christian. I'm pretty much the wheelhouse of, like, privilege, and there's a lot for me to lose to find what Jesus needs for me in this world. The first step in any of this is asking what I need to do. How often of us can can we truly say we looked to God and we prayed and we said, Jesus, what do you need me to do? It's not just about the asking. It's about the listening. Jesus, my my mom always used to say this. I'd call home from school and she'd say, God would never put you in a situation that he didn't think you could handle. He's given us the tools. And he looks to us to challenge us in ways that we know we can succeed. He didn't ask the rich man to join a business with him. He didn't ask the ruler to help lead some people with him. He asked for his money. The thing he holds closest and the thing that he has. I don't know if you've done a lot of listening to Jesus recently, but he's never going to ask you to do the easy thing. I'm sorry. I wish it were the case. He's always going to ask you to do something a little bit harder. Organizing the youth group. Being in front of the kids is fine for me, but you can ask them, I'm forgetting stuff every other week. Being organized is a strong, hard point for me, and that's what God has asked me to do. He always asked the hard things. Like when he asked the prisoner to move away from everything he knew. When he asked Tim to go to chemistry lab and find a way to learn. I promise God will never ask you to do something he has not equipped you to do. But it's never easy. I currently am in a PT aid at Highland Care facility. We see a lot of stroke victims, and one of my favorites is named Hufar. He's a Muslim, and he's had a very debilitating stroke. He can't speak. He's in a chair that he can move with his hand, but he can't do a lot of movement on his own. My only friend at work right now is a 46-year-old named Marcella, who's a CNA and is a devoted Catholic, and who far hates her, and he has to work with her every day. He has a little card that he speaks with by pointing to letters, and every day he'll say, I hate you, to her on the card. However, last week at lunch, she sat down with me, and she said, God is asking me to do something hard. I said, what? And I'm thinking what you were thinking, money, perhaps, perhaps working at a different facility, doing something for her children. He said, God is asking me to sit with Hufar on Sundays. said, Marcella, what does that mean? And I'll tell you this, every Sunday, if you drive on 13th past Highland Care Facility, you'll find a 50-year-old man in a power chair, sitting outside with no shirt on, sunbathing, and listening to the Kabat. It's a Muslim service. And she drove by every day. She'd drive by on her way to Catholic Church, on her way to Mass. And she'd look over and she'd say, oh, he's there all alone. I feel like God's asking me to be there. She wasn't asked to give money, because that's what the rich man had, but she was asked to give love, and that is what we all have. So if you're bored this Sunday, and you want to drive by Highland Care Facility, you'll find a 46-year-old Latino woman sitting with a 56-year-old Muslim man who had a stroke. They're not praying together, they're not going to church together, but he's not alone. These are the kind of -of out-of-the-box things that Jesus is going to ask you to do. I just pray that when you get home today, you ask and you listen. Yes, the end of this passage is about a camel and the eye of the needle and how hard it is for rich people to get into heaven, but I really don't care if you go home and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And I don't think Jesus cares. Jesus wants us to be like Tim and always be proud to have Christ in our lives and run down that dirt road. Jesus wants us to know that we do not have to do anything. He wants us to learn the lesson of the prisoner and that getting into heaven is by God's grace. And that is why we do mission work, not because we need to check things off the list, but because God is enough for this world. Next time you think this world is broken and it's impossible, I promise you, God is enough. Jesus wants us to turn to him and then truly listen to him when he tells us what he wants us to do, even though it might be challenging. And if we do all that, I think you might just find that some of your possessions get up and walk out of your house. Some of your money ends up in the hands of the poor. I know it might be a tough sell, but I think you might be surprised.